One up in here now, and I'm off of that two even here now with the 170s and the 180s trade here now. A little bit of a chop trade here right now, guys. One up and now, it's best in here now. One up and now, I'm at two. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Hannah Joffe Waltz. And I'm David Kestenbaum. That was Ben Lichtenstein narrating the sale of futures contracts on the stock market. It sounds a bit like he's calling a horse race. He is not. He is describing what's happening with stocks. Actually, each individual trade happens a lot faster than he can say. 120. Actually, it, it's shorter than that. It's more like this. <laughs> Actually, even faster than that. Lichtenstein runs an audio feed to give traders who aren't on the floor info quickly about what's going on. But today on the podcast, we are going so much faster than that. Today's show, we are going to be talking about high-frequency trading. And this is something that's come up a lot in the last year or two. High-frequency trading was blamed in part for that sudden seizure that the stock market went through last month on May 6th, where it plunged 6% and then bounced back. You may have heard of flash trading. That's actually one kind of high-frequency trading. So today, what is it? How is it changing things? And should we be afraid? The simplest answer to the what the heck is it question is that high-frequency trading is when people write algorithms, computer programs to buy and sell things at very high speed. The computers scour the market all day long looking for tiny ways to make money. So one innocuous thing the computers may do is they'd buy a stock that someone needs to sell right now, and then they'd turn around and try and unload it for a penny more. That's called market making, and it's basically what a lot of those traders in the pit do. But computers do it much, much faster. So basically, the algorithm is telling the computer all day long that if these conditions are met at any time, buy. If these are met, sell. And then the computer is buying and selling millions of times every day. And this is not just some small corner of the market. Estimates are that somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of the trades in the U.S. stock market come from high-frequency trading. So high-frequency traders include big banks like Goldman Sachs, but also small shops of five guys like I know, Joe's high-frequency trading or something. But it's a relatively tiny number of people responsible for all that trading. It's only something like 2% of all trading firms do high-frequency trading. 2% of traders who rely on their algorithms and their computing power and speed to make money. Which brings us to our indicator. It comes from Kevin McPartland. He's an analyst at Tab Group who watches the high-frequency trading market. He's a guy who writes papers about how profitable it is to trade this way in fractions of a second that make you a fraction of a penny many, many times over. And I met him at this conference for high-frequency traders. He was moderating a panel. And during the panel, I heard the perfect Planet Money indicator, and I asked him to deliver it to us right now. Tab Group wrote a research report in early 2008 called The Value of a Millisecond. Um, on the panel here today, um, someone just talked about the value of a microsecond. Right? So that's a thousand, a thousand times different, um, and that's in only two years. So what is the value of a millisecond? That's a, well, that's a good question. Uh, the, the value that was thrown out on the panel today for a microsecond shaved off of their execution times can make them an extra million dollars. A million dollars, Hannah? Like in a, in a month? A day. The indicator, David, one million dollars a day that is lost to some poor high-frequency trader who has to suffer an extra microsecond lag time on every single trade. You know what I have to say to that? <laughs> what? Snore. <laughs> I used to, I, when I w worked in physics, we discovered a particle that lives for a millionth of a trillionth of a microsecond. Ooh, wow, you're so special. <laughs> but yeah, when I, when I think about the people who work on Wall Street, you know, the ones you see drinking in the bars after work, the, the idea of them making trades that fast, 
it seems both sort of cool and it also makes me a little nervous. Yes, this is a brave new world. And David, I went to see it with my own eyes to see the spot where those trades are happening. And it is not Wall Street. It is Mawa, New Jersey, a small town, population 24,000, where Mayor Richard Martell has been mayor for 14 years. So here we are. Here we are. Tell me, uh... Beautiful downtown Mawa. What's that? Beautiful downtown Mawa. Is this downtown? No. It's, it's... Mawa doesn't really have a downtown. What Mawa does have? Lots of strip malls, lots of trees, rolling hills, and a new building that is being built down on MacArthur Boulevard. Right in between a, a Frost King, which was explained to me as a frozen food company, and a big artificial limb company, the New York Stock Exchange is building something, something huge. And no one in town knew what it was. Even really gossipy folks playing dominoes at the senior center like Nancy Jackson. Do you know about the New York Stock Exchange building down the way here? The one down on uh, MacArthur Boulevard on the side there? Well, I don't know exactly what it is, but I knew it was a big deal. But but I I see. I just know it was a big building that they built, and that was it. Do you know what goes on in there? Not really. No, I don't. But if it's stocks and stock exchange, it's got to have probably many, many documents. Sorry, Nancy. Turns out, no documents in this building. Is It was a mystery for a while. Walking around Mawa, everyone told me they had all these questions. Like, is it is it a Walmart? Is it an FBI building? What are they building down there? And, I, David, I kept thinking of this Tom Waits song when I was in Mawa. The, do you know the song, What Is He Building Down There? No. It's a very Tom Waitsy song. It's, like, barely a song. It's more a crazy sound poem. of. It's from the album Mule Variations. I'm going to play you just a little bit. What is he building in there? What the hell is he building in there? (laughs) I love Tom Waits. So that's track number five for anyone interested. So, David, I kept thinking of this song, and I went home after Mawa and made some sound art. You did not. (laughs) Hannah, you're not licensed as a sound artist. That is the great thing about sound art. So I'm going to play it for you here, my debut. You're going to hear the Mawa councilman, John Roth, and then the mayor talking about getting his first tour inside the mysterious New York Stock Exchange building. A lot of people were asking, what is that going to be? You know what? What's he building in there? What actually occurs in those computers down on MacArthur Boulevard? What about all those packages he sends? What's he building in there? You know, the financial world basically is being processed and activated down there. Uh, It's just an amazing thing that it's all happening down there. He has a router and a table saw. And it's it's awfully... uh, Full of electronics, uh, wiring. It's, it's, you know, it's not your normal little copper wiring that runs on the back of your TV set or, or another electrical appliance. I mean, these are wires that 
were six inches around. They were like a huge cobra, you know, and the size of them was mind-boggling. And by the hundreds, underground and reinforced with concrete. And, uh, I mean, this place could withstand uh, a major earthquake. It could withstand a major bomb. It's almost indescribable. Whoa. <laughs> Do you like it? Where am I? <laughs> that was really frightening. You know, it's amazing how you can take some people describing what is basically a computer center and make it seem totally demonic. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the Tom Waits effect. All right. So what actually happens here in this building? It's going to be the center for all New York stock exchange trading. It's a big brick box that houses thousands of computer servers. So... Every time a trader on a trading floor shouts something, buy, and punches that into a computer, or every time there's an electronic sale of a stock, it will go through here. So let's just watch how a trade might make its way through this building in microseconds. Let's walk through an imaginary trade. I met this other guy at that high-frequency trading conference who's going to help us do it. His name is Doug Gourlay with Arista Networks. He makes Ethernet switches and describes himself in humble terms. I connect lots of things really fast. You know that internet thing? We kind of make that work. So let's imagine we have an exchange, like the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. And the exchange is where you buy and sell things, so it is constantly spitting out information, like Anheuser-Busch is selling for $46.83, Time Warner, 12 million shares, just sold for $30.40. If I'm a high-frequency trader... I am obsessed with getting this information as fast as possible. I want to eliminate any delays, any what they call latencies. The first amount of latency is how long from the time the exchange publishes that, the distance until it reaches you. So the shorter the cables are, the faster it gets there. So, Hannah, I happen to know that electronic signals travel in cables at somewhere roughly around the speed of light, which is one foot every nanosecond, one foot in a billionth of a second. <laughs> I'm glad to see your physics PhD is useful for something. Yeah, see. So, but that's why, I, ideally, you want to be physically located. You want your servers as close as possible to the exchange. Because if everyone is trying to make the same trade, they have basically the same supercomputers running similarly fast algorithms, but one guy has shorter cables, the guy with the shortest cable wins because they're going to be able to execute the trade first. So they don't want no one wants to be like down the road in some other building. They want to be right next to the stock exchange computers, like feet away. And the stock exchange, of course, knows this. So when the New York Stock Exchange decided to build this new data center, they chose to lease half the building to build half of a building for firms who are willing to pay a premium to the New York Stock Exchange to be close. And and those firms those firms actually had fights about who got to have the shortest cables. Like if you're in the back of the room, you're further away. That's not fair. So the exchange had to promise everyone who leases space in this building gets equal speed. Okay. So what happens next in the trade? Okay. So Doug continued in classic Planet Money style. He anthropomorphized the technology involved here so that we could act it out. You're the exchange. I'm the exchange. And I'm your high frequency trading client. Which means you're a computer. I'm a series of computers, but I'm a, I'm a cabinet full of computers and switches. What yes. do you look like? I'm extremely hot, <laughs> about 32 kilowatts an hour, uh, and a really bad day, max. Um, lots of servers. What do I look like? Uh, to me, you look like two ports of 10 gigabit Ethernet, 
Um, you look like a two pair of fiber, two pieces of fiber coming into two pieces of fiber coming into my cabinet. You're telling me every order that's going through your exchange. So when somebody says, "Hey, I have ten thousand shares of this to sell, and I want to sell it at this price," there's a order to sell ten thousand. Wow, Hannah, that started kind of steamy, and then it got pretty boring. <laughs> I, I cut out the steamiest part. We still might have to mark this podcast explicit. All right, so let's look at one particular strategy that high frequency traders sometimes use. One thing they do is they look for prices out there in the market that seem out of joint. So, say for instance, you know that. Coca-Cola stock and Pepsi stock often move in tandem. So if Coke goes up a half a cent, Pepsi goes up half a cent. If Coke goes down half a cent, Pepsi goes down half a cent. But then one day, Coke goes up and Pepsi does not go up. So there's a gap between the two. The, the high-frequency trader might buy and sell them so that they basically put a big bet that that gap between the two of them is going to close. Okay, so in our example, basically Doug, the high-frequency trader, computers is at the point where he's decided that he is going to bet that that gap is going to close. Then I send an order back to the exchange saying I want to buy some number of shares of this at this price. If so, this just took us ten minutes to talk through. How long did it take in in real life? In real life, it took three. No, it takes 30 millionths of a so second. So let's say, hypothetically, the gap between Pepsi and Coke close. The Pepsi and Coke are in harmony again. Uh, the trader makes a little money. Um, and that would be it. This trade is executed at 14 minutes after 9 o'clock at 30.67 seconds or something. You know, I heard this kind of quantitative trading once described as the search for 4.5 cent nickels. Meaning if you could buy a, a nickel for four and a half cents, you could then turn around and sell it for five cents. You'd only make a half a penny. But if you do it millions and millions of times, then you start making real money. So this is one kind of trade. There are a lot. There are many, many others that the high-frequency traders do that we, we don't really know a lot about. So basically we've got a bunch of mindless computer robots trading huge volumes of stocks and other stuff. Is this okay? Is it okay or should we be afraid? Now, the New York Stock Exchange... I suppose not surprisingly, says no. So so do a lot of other people, actually. I talked with Steve Rubino. He's the global chief information officer for the New York Stock Exchange. And he said this argument that you hear a lot from high-frequency traders and other people, that simply the more people you have in the market, the stronger the market is. You want to sell something? You want to buy something? These guys are there to sell and buy from you. Every innovation of this type uh, makes the market more efficient. Some people don't believe that, but it really does. Uh, because the, the faster we trade and the more people you have trading, uh, any aberrations that exist in the market are taken out of the market really, really quickly, which makes for a fairer market for all participants, both the people that are uh, up to their, their necks in it and people like you and me as retail customers. But those prices are about as fair as they can be. And that didn't used to be the case when things were much slower, when there were wider spreads in pricing and things could take a long time to react, and information didn't uh, get disseminated quickly, then you had less efficient markets, which means that some people made a lot of money and some people that should have uh, been less affected were affected to the, to the negative. That's less so So today. basically the argument is more buyers and sellers means better and more information out there about what people think prices should be, which means more accurate prices. So when I buy some stock for my retirement fund, I'm getting what the market thinks is the best price. It's not like someone else out there has better information than me. Well, the people that manage those retirement funds we also talk to beg to differ. 
they say high-frequency traders do have an information advantage because they go to these great lengths to be sitting at that data center in Mawa to have those short cables. And not just in Mawa, there are other exchanges, and high-frequency traders try to be close to all of them because, you know, obviously for them, speed is what makes them money, so they pay for speed. Kevin Cronin, though, does not pay for speed. He's one of the people who has some questions about high-frequency trading. He works for Invesco. He manages big pension funds and mutual funds. And here's the scenario that he worries about. So Kevin Cronin is what you think might think of as a more regular investor. He looks at earnings reports and cash flows and things like that, and he'll decide he wants to invest in a company. Now, he doesn't want to tip off the market that he's going to be buying a bunch of stock because that would drive the price up. So instead of making one big order, he carves it up into a bunch of smaller parcels that go through one at a time. And as they go through, each transaction shows up on that data stream that the high-frequency trading computers are receiving from the exchange servers through those cables. So those servers, remember, are sitting just a few feet away from the high-frequency trading computers. And if the computers can figure out that all those little parcels are going to add up to something big, they can act on that information. They can buy. And Kevin Cronin says they can do that knowing that the price will go up. And, and that's the behavior that we think brings no value to anybody. If it's people who are trying to just try to figure out what a large buyer or seller is doing in the marketplace, we don't think that that's a valuable enterprise. Why? Why not? They don't care about the stocks. All they care about is jumping in front of us and making a penny or two and doing that millions of times a day for no other reason than they can guess that there's a big order in the marketplace. They don't bring anything positive to the marketplace. So that seems annoying to you, but why is that uh, but why why is that wrong? What is what are they doing to provide anything in the marketplace other than trying to take the information that our orders give? and try to profit themselves. So high-frequency traders say in their defense that, look, anyone can get access to this information at that speed. You just have to pay for it and pay for all these computers and set up the computers there, and we pay for it, and we do that. I think the clearest complaint about high-frequency trading is simply that a lot of people don't understand what they do. Regulators don't often understand what they do, and regulators don't really have computers that run at microsecond speeds to help them monitor what these traders are are up to, and that doesn't seem good. And if people don't understand what's going on with two-thirds of the trades happening every day, people maybe don't want to take part in the market, and it could erode confidence. And that actually was the point people made after the May 6th stock market plunge, that whatever was going on, you know, the risk is that that kind of thing will erode investor confidence. So as we mentioned, high-frequency traders have been blamed for quickly pulling out of the market that day when things were going downhill and possibly making things worse. Of course, they argue the stock market quickly came back up thanks to them. All right, I think that does it for us today. We are going to play you what May 6th sounded like in human time with Ben Lichtenstein narrating again, the guy you heard at the top. We're going to leave you with that. So we still have a solid 60 handles of range left. Here they come to sell them again. Nine hours straight, nine twenty. Also, check out our blog where you can see live action webcam of Toxie, the Planet Money Toxic Asset. Yep, we have a webcam here in our office pointed right at her 24-7 with a view of Fifth Avenue below on the street. She is still in a coma, but we think visitors would really help keep her spirits up. That's at npr.org slash money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. Thanks for listening. 93 events are trading. 92 events are trading. Here now, guys, 91 events are trading. 89s are trading. 88 hounds are trading. 
87 evens are trading, 86 evens are trading, 85 evens are trading here now guys, all the way down, 84 evens are trading here now guys, 82 evens are trading, paper comes in a big seller, 81 evens are trading here now guys, 79s are trading, you got 79s trading here now once again, 78s are trading, 6s are trading. 76 evens are trading here now guys, 75 evens are trading, 4 evens, 3 evens are trading here, 2 evens are trading, 72 evens just traded. Once again guys, we are big time even bid here now guys, 72 even offer, 68 evens are trading. Guys, 70 even bid here now once again, 70 evens trade, 71 even bid here now with the 72 evens are trading. Guys, 70 over here. Up at that 70 even offer here now, guys. Once again, 70 even offer. 65 even offer here now, guys. Once again, up at that 72. Up at that 70, 60 even bid at 70 even offer here now, guys. 60 even bid at 70 even offer here now, guys. 60 even bid. Guys, 60 even bid here now, guys. This is the widest we have seen us in years. 60 even. Curiosity comes to see me every now and then. Good friend. Well, what do you talk about? Oh, it can be anything. <laughs> like what? Well, the other day, Curiosity came by and we got to talking about a guy who used to play around with numbers. Who was it? Leonardo. Da Vinci? No, uh, Leonardo Fibonacci. How long ago was that? Back in medieval times. Uh-huh. See, what the Fibonacci would do is pretty simple. He started with one, and adding one to itself, he got two. Yeah, that is pretty simple. Ah, but then he had one next to one, next to two, so he said to himself, I'll take the last two numbers in the list.